Dear audience, welcome to Faces of Digital Health, a show about digital health and how healthcare systems adopt technology. My name is Tiasha Zaitz, and this is the third episode in the short series about HTech. I firmly believe that while discussions about the end of life are not easy, the pandemic opened up the space for us to talk more openly about dying and the best possible care in the last days of our lives. Today, you will hear a discussion about innovation in the field of geriatric care. I spoke with Martina Viduka, the registered nurse by background, co-founder of AdvoSense. AdvoSense is a Berlin-based startup with the mission to empower clinicians to know when, where, and how to best respond to their patients' needs. So far, the company developed disposable briefs with smart inlay technology that monitors the patient's dryness. This makes caring for patients with incontinence a lot more effective and respectful. Martina and I talked about the progress made in geriatric care, her experiences with COVID-19 as a nurse, and how she sees that the social attitude towards old age could be improved. Enjoy the discussion and to learn more, go to www.facesofdigitalhealth.com. In the other episodes of this series, you can listen about what can we learn about the aging society from Japan. You can hear how an Austrian startup is matching caregivers and the elderly based on their personality profiles. And in the next episode, we'll talk about advanced care planning. Enjoy the show, and if you haven't yet, subscribe to be notified about new episodes automatically. Now, to Martina. Martina, you're a registered nurse by background and you worked in the emergency and geriatric health for over 10 years. Can you describe geriatric care through your lens? So what did you notice in general in your clinical practice? Yes, thanks. Uh, so that's correct. I spent the majority of my time at the bedside in the emergency department uh, while also specializing in geriatric health. And this included a role as a nurse clinician in geriatric emergency management. And this was back at Mount Sinai Hospital in Toronto, Canada. Um, and the emergency management role is actually a really great example of the kind of best practice for geriatric care that we are seeing in clinical practice. It's a bridge between primary and acute care for the emergency department and for this geriatric population. So what it does, it's this specifically involves nurses consulting on, on elderly patients at high risk that show up in the emergency department. And it's determined that they don't need further medical treatment or admission, but they do need assistance with this continuum of care that specialized geriatric clinical uh, nurse can step in. So for example, a patient lives alone and they had a, a minor fall with no reason for admission, but they need to get home safely. So this role advocate, advocates to maximize the function and independence so these patients can be discharged home safely without admitted to the hospital, for example, um, going beyond the medical needs of this patient and still fall within a care spectrum. 
So after spending time in this role, this is when I really understood the unique needs of the population and challenges and seeing how much there is to improve currently within geriatric clinical practice. And ultimately what led me to continue to pursue this career in geriatric health. Um, what I have to say is unfortunately in clinical practice with geriatric care, there is quite a gap between what evidence has shown to be best practice in the care of elderly and how practice is truly carried out. Um, and this comes down to resources. I mean, geriatric care is fragmented, it's outdated technology infrastructures, and there's of course huge budget constraints. And these lack of resources not only meet the care needs of these patients, but placements also in long-term care, wait lists, and of course heavy complex patient loads in hospitals. So clinicians are actually unable to provide the type of care that, to their patients that they once hoped they could back in nursing school. Um, there's a lack of personalized care within long-term institutions and hospitals. And you even see this with standardized task management. So for example, you should be able to do simple tasks such as feeding, and there's just not even enough time to feed these residents, all of them who need assistance, and they're eating cold. And this is just a small example, but nurses have no time to spend caring for their patients and are just getting by. It's just not what we imagined. And I feel here is where we can really leverage these technologies um, and innovations within the organizations to help cater to these individualized patient groups. And these challenges with clinical practice um, and geriatric care were not only evident uh, to me in nursing homes, but also many of our patients in acute care, eMERGE, psychiatry, general medicine. These are all older adults with complex and various needs. And there's a general lack of education on the geriatric needs for this population across this continuum of care. Um, however, you are starting to see a lot of initiatives such as geriatric emergency training courses for clinicians being mandated as part of a clinical on-the-job training. And Germany, in Germany last January of last year, with the act on the nursing professions came into effect. And this says now um, that nurses have their two years of general training, but now this includes a third year, enabling them to acquire a professional qualification where they can specialize in such things as elderly care. So we are starting to see um, within clinical practice that there is more education geared towards um, this area of care. Um, but I guess what I really noticed within the practice of my profession within my professional group um, within my 10 years of nursing. And I believe this hasn't really changed since started practicing. And in fact, most likely has gotten worse due to COVID-19 is the lack of attraction to clinical practice in geriatric care. Mm -hmm. That's exactly what I wanted to, to ask, you know, because we do live in a culture where youth is admired and cherished and advertised. And I don't know what else, whereas old age is not exactly sexy exactly yeah it is not sexy <laughs> how do you see that that this could be bridged because we are you know living in the aging population globally so the future of medicine is in geriatric care and the same way as pediatric care is different from adult health care geriatric care is complex because um, may it be in cardiological sense intensive care sense it has to take into account the specifics of aging, apart from the, the fact that oftentimes um, these elderly patients are more vulnerable, um, uh, less um, self-reliant or independent. 
Mm -hmm. Exactly. I think that's a really important point. I mean, many factors come into play here. And I think kind of this conscious awareness of making the elderly back as an integral part of daily life in society and within their care um, spectrum and standing up for them in all areas of ageism within these facets. So I think it's really also about even just the language we choose when we're speaking about this population, you know, the decisions that we're making, not only from a national to a local level, but I think it's really having these groups involved. Do they have a voice? And if not, how do we give them a voice? Where are we putting attention to them and resources? And that's where we put the value. You you originally uh, trained and got educated in Canada, but you're now uh, living in Berlin uh, to further develop the, the startup. Is there any comparison that you can make between the two countries or the nursing information that you acquired about the two markets? Yeah, I mean, I guess what I'm seeing mostly is the difference between kind of tech readiness and in like technical innovations within the organizations. Um, I feel that within Canada, I mean, even when you're looking at rural community hospitals, the, the technology that's available and infrastructures are much, much more robust than here in Germany. Um, and also within the long-term care facilities. Um, and the, for example, the long-term care facility nurse managers that I've spoken to here compared to in Germany, um, the difference in terms of how they're charting and the documentation and kind of, you know, what data they're looking at and collecting and reporting as well is also really different. Um, you know, I mean, in Canada, we sometimes over-report, but we're tracking a lot more um, in terms of quality indicators when it comes to long-term care. Um, than I'm seeing here in Germany. So is uh, looking at Canada from the German perspective a little bit like looking into the future? Yes, let's say so. <laughs> because of uh, COVID-19 and because of the high death rates that it caused so far, especially in the elderly population, I feel that um, COVID opened up the space for us to discuss uh, aging and how we wish to die a little bit more What's your um, perspective? Do you see any of those discussions happening? You yourself also worked in the clinical uh, practice uh, as a, an, an intensive care nurse uh, for the COVID patients. Yeah, so essentially, I mean, I think what we're noticing more in terms of the trends of where people want to age and where they want to go. So we're noticing that patients are wanting to stay more at home and they don't and they want to be medically managed from from home. So as you with COVID-19 and as you said, the disasters have hit the nursing homes. That means these patients are want to stay home more. But then that's also allowing more technologies to come into the space. So patients are willing to wear more wearables to do so, helping them live independently um, for, you know, so they can age longer at home. And I think this is an important space here that we can leverage on this um, and help, you know, these patients uh, get cared for at home as well. You founded or co-founded Advocence to change the way we feel about aging and by championing dignity and respect in elderly care. And let's let's talk a bit about this further. You uh, just mentioned that uh, more technology is coming to the patient's home so they can stay at home more. Uh, so what kind of solutions are you seeing? And more importantly, to which extent do you think that's uh, uh, helpful 
and where does somebody come to a point when even technology cannot um, enable someone to stay at home anymore? Yeah, no, that's also a good point. I mean, I think it's important about how we see this innovation. So, and it comes back to the piece of, of respect and dignity for them. And this is also where we do need to be careful because the elderly are a highly vulnerable population. And we need to keep this in mind when we're starting to innovate for them, for when, whether this is at home or within a long-term care setting. I mean, they're a harder to reach market, especially the old, old and the chronically ill, and it's harder to involve them in developing these solutions. And we need to think about finding more creative ways to do so. And this is where caregivers and family can come in to advocate for these age-friendly technologies and to really meet their needs and desires. Because as you said as well, we want to provide good care, but we also, it's a fine line between their autonomy and their privacy and having a holistic psychosocial approach and not just modernizing this medicine, making care smarter, but we really need to be compassionate in how we use this agent technology when we're, when we're innovating. And uh, that's kind of what you're trying to do also with, with AdvoSense. In a broader uh, perspective, you're developing the next generation of um, tools and solutions to make aging uh, more dignified and respectful. And more concretely, the product that you are already working on uh, is the next generation of incontinence care products. So you developed a disposable uh, briefs uh, idea with smart inlay technology that monitors the patient's dryness. Um, let's talk a little bit about that and why did you decide to start with this problem? Great. So first of all, thank you for calling this a problem. Um, many people think that urinary incontinence is not a normal, is a normal part of aging and it's not. Um, anywhere between 70 to 80% of nursing home residents, depending on where they live in the world, suffer from urinary incontinence. And it's a leading risk factor for why patients are falling in nursing homes or getting up to go to the bathroom. And other hospital-acquired infections, you know, dermatitis, pressure ulcers, and urinary tract infections. And why is this happening? There's no best practice to manage incontinence. So we've been doing it the same way, way long before I started nursing. And there's so many ways within this care process. Um, you know, never mind the high cost associated with incontinence and their indirect costs, which can be close to 330,000 euros per patient year. But from my personal experience, this is one of the most difficult concerns for patients, families, and loved ones. When you're coming to visit your grandfather at nursing home or in hospital and you're finding them soaked in urine, it's really upsetting for families to see. And it's not the clinicians don't want to clean their patients. They just don't have the time or resources and they don't even know they're wet. So nurses are spending a lot of time wasting on these processes, and we really want to streamline these basic care tasks so we can free up that time that nurses can spend on therapeutic care and starting with basics and starting with incontinence. Um, so for example, let's take Canada. So studies show that a nurse or a nurse care aide in a nursing home spends on average only two hours and 45 minutes with one resident a day, okay? And this is including all of their, their care tasks. And this is before the pandemic. Now, it takes a nurse close to nine minutes, 10 minutes, each time a nurse changes one brief for a patient. This is not including to checking if they're wet, gathering materials, documenting their care. So let's be conservative and add another two minutes. So now we have a total of 11 minutes per patient for one brief change. 
but they of course need to be changed more than once a day. So let's say four. Again, this is not in line with their actual avoiding patterns, but practice in reality. So we've just spent a total of 44 minutes a day out of two hours and 45 minutes on just changing briefs. So there's two hours left in a whole day to bathe, feed, medicate. And as you can imagine, there's just no time left to provide anything but this basic care. So we need to release this from the clinicians and focus on providing patient-centered care by streamlining processes. And that's what we're trying to do at AdvaSense using innovations. So how far have you come uh, with the um, smart briefs that you're developing? Great. So we're still in early development. Um, We've worked on our proof of concept and now getting ready for our MVP to start testing on patients at the bedside um, within Germany and abroad as well. The mission of um, the company is to empower clinicians to know when, where, and how to best respond to their patients' needs. So we mentioned one product. Is there anything else that you already have in plan to address long-term? Yeah, so I mean, for us, we're definitely going to start with incontinence, and we want to start with this one basic task and develop further from there. Um, What we plan to do is continue to... use technologies to address clinicians' needs to enable this higher quality caregiving. We really want to provide clinicians with data, but the right data and the right amount at the right time. And I think this can be really incredibly supportive in facilitating more effective care. Um, Sensing technologies in IRT are huge and, you know, are really allowing for exciting innovations, but they need to be used correctly. And that's the key for us is to keep clinicians, of course, with patients alongside at the forefront of the technologies we're building. So we really want to make sure that we're creating what is best and not hindering the care or, for example, contributing to alarm fatigue. And that's going to remain our focus in the long term. We're going to continue to ask the question, how can we create innovations to support our clinicians' needs and then look to the clinicians to answer it? Um, We really want to support uh, nurse champions and leaders And by introducing technology, focusing on improving the lives of elderly patients and in turn, not only making it better for the patients, but we want to leverage our technologies to get nurses really excited to get back to the bedside and get back to geriatric care where we really need them. You are a nurse yourself. You're not working in the clinical practice full time because you were working on the startup. But uh, when COVID began, you did go into the clinical practice for uh, two months, uh, as you told me prior to this discussion. Can, can we talk a little bit about that? So what was the experience of being in the front line for you and how did that impact the way you're thinking about uh, the uh, technology and innovation side now? Yeah, of course. So, I mean, there was a couple of things that really came out of me going back to the bedside uh, during COVID-19 last year. Firstly, it was really um, empowering to see all the small little innovations that nurses were coming up with themselves trying to manage uh, the pandemic when we didn't, you know, have the proper tools. Um, And then also the piece of that, too, was seeing where technology would be able to help, especially when it comes to remote monitoring. I mean, in order to go into a patient's room and put on PPE, protective personal equipment, on and off to go answer a question or to check if a patient's wet, you know, or to provide a certain amount of care and then 
come out of that room and undress again. Like these are huge barriers to care and being able to have technologies to help us monitor patients and information without having to go into the patient's room over and over again has been really helpful. But again, there's that fine line in not being present in front of the patient as well. Um, and then another key point for me that really hit home when I went to visit, and this is more um, in terms of my um, you know, passion for the population, what was really um, heartbreaking to see is what was going on within the long-term care facilities. So I was working in an emergency department downtown and you know we had nights where nursing homes were shutting down and we were getting busloads of geriatric patients coming into the emergency department and we couldn't care for their special needs. Um, and this just really highlighted the need um, for change within the nursing homes and long-term care. Do you have an impression that things have improved by now, you know, with the vaccine and everything and the fact that we do know more about COVID than we did a year ago? Yeah, I mean, I think there's two sides of it. In one term, yes, I do think things are improving because things are coming into place and people are speaking up. I mean, a lot of the nursing unions, for example, are getting really involved. Um, but unfortunately, on the other side of things, I can speak to Canada because this is where I follow um, my professional body. But unfortunately, things aren't changing when it comes to long-term care. Um, I just received from my union, actually in my mailbox two days ago, that there's still not PPE and they're actually cutting staff. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, that's, I think, I guess, an additional topic to discuss, and that is, at uh, the one hand, you know, um, a lot of medical professionals got sick due to COVID, a lot of them got burned out, uh, some uh, quit because it was just too much to handle, and that's completely understandable. So, you know, knowing all that and knowing that uh, geriatric care is not exactly a popular field uh, as it is, how do you see that the the attitude can be changed or how can we even solve the issue of um, the lack of the nursing staff that's in general a huge problem? Yeah, I think it really comes down to providing attractive um, places for the nurses to want to come work. And it's not just through... Uh, monetary compensation, but the really empowering them and getting involved and engagement of the nursing staff and figuring out ways to attain them. I mean, I think it, it can go back to even such things as like the built environment and these the structures of these nursing homes. Um, you know, having a more attractive place to have care for the patients and better facilities for the nurses to work in. Um, I was in, back in my master's thesis, I studied small scale living facilities in the Netherlands, which essentially are these smaller nursing homes that um, have about six patients and they resemble a home um, where there's a kitchen and a living room. Um, and there's, you know, one to two nurses or a nurse aide within these facilities and the difference in the type of care that's being provided within these homes. And also how nurses are engaged and the quality of life, not only for the patients, but the nurses is so different. And the nurses loved working here. So it's really about, you know, bringing these care structures in and attracting them to back to the profession and retaining them. 
um, I mentioned before that uh, you aim to transform, you know, not only what you just mentioned, so how to make geriatric care more attractive for the healthcare professionals, but also just the general uh, societal pr perception of how we feel about aging and nursing care for the elderly. I'm going to go back uh, to, to the beginning of the discussion a bit and just ask, you know, from your perspective, how do you think that we could um, impact the perception um, of old age in the world where youth is celebrated, especially in the Western world, as an ideal that we need to strive towards? Yeah, again, I think it's really giving them a place back in our Western society, bringing back the space for these wide groups of individuals, age-friendly communities. We're seeing outdoor spaces that are enabling them to come in, attracting them and like integrating employment, volunteer opportunities. I mean, we are seeing some really great examples of this when you're seeing these community living programs or programs that are mixing child daycare and senior care or university students and housing. But we le need a lot more of these. They need to just be present again. Mm -hmm. um, in, in your clinical practice, can you think of what did you enjoy most uh, in your work? Wow. <laughs> All of it, I guess, minus the night shift. No, uh, there's so much to that. I guess for me, it's the engagement with not only patients, but with my nursing body and the community and how much support we have with each other. I mean, it's such a team. And even going back, so when I did go back for COVID-19, I went back to the first department and the first hospital that I did my first nursing job. And after 10 years, I mean, they're family and going through something like this together with them, it's so different than anything I've ever experienced. And when I did leave the bedside to go to my master's program and wasn't practicing, it took me almost a year to not miss it every single day and miss that family um, of colleagues. And I would say, yeah, that's, that's the biggest thing. So what, what about the hardest thing? Oof, the hardest thing. Um, yeah, I guess, I think it goes back to a point I made earlier. Um, the hardest things would be, we really want to provide quality care. I mean, that's why we went into nursing, you know, we want to have these therapeutic conversations with patients, um, have these nurse patient relationships, provide the time and we can't. And having to manage these and cut this out in order to just have basic care for our patients. It's, it's really hard. And I think that would be, that would be some of the hardest part of it. Uh, one of the reasons I started this series was to kind of open up um, the discussions about the last days or years of our lives. And I think that also includes uh, palliative care and just comfort care in, instead of intensive care to keep someone alive. To which extent do you see that this is uh, recognized and known uh, by the public based on the patients that, that you had, you know, when um, families come, how, how is it to, to have discussions about these things? Yeah, I think it also depends on the setting and the support system. I feel like if patients are coming from sign of a chronic condition or they've been diagnosed with, you know, 
um, palliative cancer and whatnot, you usually do have really amazing palliative teams and initiatives coming in. But if they don't have this kind of pre-care, families aren't so aware of this. Um, especially in the, within the emergency department. I mean, we again, there's amazing palliative teams that come in and kind of support when needed. But this is not something that, you know, the, the clinicians on the floor, the nursing floor, um, know how to deal with on a daily basis. And this isn't discussions that we're having at the bedside without these special groups. Um, so I think integrating this palliative end of life discussion more with all clinicians is really important because this is something we're facing, you know, and sometimes it's not this drawn out process where we have the ability to bring in these teams, especially in such like acute episodic environments. What would your advice be regarding how uh, families um, or clinicians, you know, that are hardly entering the field should address these topics with their patients? Yeah, I mean, for the families, I think it's hard to put the onus on them. I mean, of course, they can, you know, they can have the control and they should be inquiring and, and, and trying to understand, you know, what options and, and st be, um, you know, Don't feel um, like you can't involve yourself in the care. Um, it's, it's, we love having the, patient, the patient's family there and involved and really just trying to understand and not to be discouraged is really important there. Um, and for new nurses as well, I think it comes down to going back to educational pieces and looking for resources and, and keeping these types of things in mind. But I think it really is more on the onus of the healthcare community in order to educate patients and families about end of life care and how palliative care, how palliative care looks. Yes, I think it's a, it's a huge, um, I guess, challenge because it's just not something anyone would want to think about. Um, exactly. I guess. Um, So I want to still, you know, end this discussion on a positive note. So uh, given that you were working in the technology field of uh, geriatric care, I'm sure you saw a lot of solutions that are addressing the problems of the elderly. So can you name any good practices or innovations that inspired you? Yeah. So, I mean, there's so many innovations popping up uh, in geriatric care, of course, and it's really great to see. Um, what I really like is that we're seeing tons of innovations that are coming up on the social isolation and community building piece. And there are some really great ones that are really easy to use and not too tech heavy for our elderly. I mean, an 80 plus year old could possibly use an iPhone, of course, but we also want to be able to see other solutions um, that they're used to um, and you're seeing some out there that are simple to use TVs that are integrating social isolation it's really nice to see another really cool platform that I came across um, for the caregivers um, the non-clinical caregivers to coordinate especially the ones with larger families and where we see as well the nurses also see how you know some of the family information can be really disjointed So I came across um, a really cool platform called Carely. And what they're doing is essentially it's a, it's a communication platform for caregivers to coordinate within each other. Um, and I think that's really nice to see. Um, and then, of course, the nurse side of me loves anything documentation relieving. Um, we have so much documentation to do. And I don't think this is going to go away anytime soon. But any innovations that can help me optimize this are super useful. 
You've been listening to Faces of Digital Health. If you enjoyed the show, leave a rating or a review by going to www.lovethepodcast.com slash Faces of Digital Health and you will be redirected to the platform appropriate for your device. Stay tuned.